Hey everybody, welcome back to the Agile Games Podcast. We've been away for a little bit, but we're back, and it's not just me. We've also got Laura Powers here with us. Hi, Laura. Hey, Paul, how you doing? And I like how you call six months a little bit. Like, <laughs> Winkle took a vacation, and now he's back to talk about Agile Games. Yeah, it has been a while. You were running off to the Agile Games uh, New England conference and starting a new uh, business here and a few other things, I think. And, and we just got real busy. I know. It's rough being an Agilist these days. There's lots of good things to do and never a lack of conferences and meetups and things to go attend and learn something new. But yep. we're back and we've got an awesome topic tonight. Yeah. So Laura and I were doing a little bit of talking before we started recording, trying to figure out what it was that we wanted to talk about tonight. And we both came up with the exact same idea. So it's kismet. Yep. <laughs> you want to in introduce the topic to us? Yeah, you know, Paul and I have been uh, Agile Games enthusiasts for some time now, and I know that there's lots of folks who are interested in it and kind of hesitate to jump into the deep end with us in terms of using these techniques for uh, training and coaching. And I think part of it gets into how do you sell or pitch uh, delivering an engagement to a client when in reality what you want to use as, as the centerpiece of that is Agile Games. So Paul came up with the term hiding dessert in the vegetables. You know, the vegetables is the heart of a heart-healthy, agile environment, and you hide dessert maybe in the broccoli just because the delight of finding that agile game in the midst of a daily stand-up or a training session is just really, really cool. So hiding dessert in the vegetables or how to pitch your agile games. Yep. And I think, you know, a lot of times it's, oh, this is work. We've got to be serious here. We're trying to do important things. We can't be playing games. So a lot of times you'll, you'll meet a little bit of that resistance. And so put it in those vegetables and say, hey, look at this is healthy. This is good for you. We're going to give you training on retrospectives or we're going to give you training on TDD or whatever it is that that technical thing that you're trying to convey to them, do you then wrap it in a game and all of a sudden you're, you're giving them that healthy vegetable, but there's uh, some dessert in there. Absolutely. And I think it, it gets into why we're, we teach with agile games in the first place. So being really clear about the power of play, I, I've talked a number of times about that and Paul has as well at, at various conferences. There's a lot of research out there now that says, you know, Play is not the opposite of work. Play is actually a lubricant or a catalyst for doing really excellent information technology, information creative work, if you will. And so it's not that the choice is work or play, but it's using play to help work be more than it is in a usual circumstance. So that's one of the reasons to be very clear on when you're talking to someone about why you want to use a game in a session with uh, their team is it actually promotes play, which helps the team get into a state of flow, which helps them sustain a high level of performance, better decision-making, resilience to failure. You name the benefit, and it's in there with respect to play at work. Now, I, I don't think either of us are advocating that we lie about what it is that we're going to be doing or claim that we're going to be doing something different. If we get asked a direct question, we'll tell them what that activity is, or at least I know that I would. 
Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure you would as well. <laughs> so we're not saying that you, you know, lie or advocating anything like that. It's just how do we approach it? So maybe, Laura, what we could do is this is certainly a scenario that you and I are both used to. Client comes to you and, hey, my people need some retraining on agile principles. And you're being asked to pitch a half day or a one day agile principles training for this company. How would you approach that? Say you, you knew you wanted to play some games, which I, I know you always do. <laughs> How would you pitch that? So I would pitch that actually from a perspective that the agile games are actually a differentiator and a position of strength, not something that I need to sell along with my one day workshop. So I would tend to approach that positioning discussion with a potential new client from the perspective of first off, letting them understand that I understand what it is that they're looking for. What is their pain points? What is the why behind them bringing someone in to have a, a work? workshop or a session with their team. But because even if you were willing to do it for free, the time that is invested by a group of people for a day activity, you know, when you start adding up what they could have been doing and the time that is being spent instead with you, it's a very expensive activity. So I want to make sure that the client understands that I understand what it is they're looking to get out of it. And then I just say, and I imagine you are looking at multiple organizations who might be able to give, give you this, this workshop. And I'm really excited to talk a little bit about how we're different and what differentiates us from our competition. And, you know, one of the great things is I can guarantee that no one will die in my workshop from <laughs> boredom, from overexposure to PowerPoint. And so I make a joke out of it. I, I approach the discussion from a perspective of play or as a game itself. And I talk about then that I use games and simulations. Sometimes I do use the word games, simulations, interactive activities. And I say, you know, there's a lot of research out there right now that says that brain science behind how we learn is solidly promotes that we learn best by actively engaging more than just watching a PowerPoint, but actually doing something with our hands, interacting with the other people in the class, uh, using more parts of our brain. And what I say is I've spent a lot of time studying how to do this. And what I have is a very carefully designed session that is guaranteed to be engaging and to have people interacting in ways that they will remember what it is that we are teaching. And so I get at, we're going to address your pain point, and we're going to do it in a way that there's greater retention and use down the road of what it, whatever it is that I'm teaching. And so from that perspective, I've never had somebody go, oh, no, no, we're not interested in that. Just bring us the PowerPoint and we'll all sit in the back of the room <laughs> and snore. So how about you, Paul? Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. I, I love that description. Very similar to the approach that I take. Basically, I'll say, okay, I'm going to come in. If you need a day-long or a half-day session on user stories, I, I have a workshop that we can run for user stories. It's going to be great, highly engaged and interactive exercises. So I'll use words like activities and exercises, simulations. So I don't necessarily say games, but I'm not hiding that. And if they ask, oh, well, what are these exercises and things like that, then I'll discuss that, hey, you know, I might be using Legos or... 
I might be using different activities and simulations to demonstrate how we create and use user stories in an agile environment. So it is upfront. Hey, we're not just going to be sitting. We're not just going to be looking at PowerPoint. Don't give me a room where everyone is just sitting in rows. I need counter space. I need, you know, desks. And the other thing that I say is tell your people not to bring laptops. So I'll say this is going to be highly active, highly engaged. There's not going to be any time for laptops, and I need that desk space anyway. So tell them to leave their laptops at, in their office. And what you're getting at there is one of the basic fundamentals of brain science is we love variety. And just by describing your workshop in a way that's different from the usual description it differentiates you and it makes folks curious to, to, well, you know, I want to understand what it is that Paul's talking about. The other thing that you had embedded in there, and this is really the dessert being hidden in the vegetables, is if you use the word Lego with a technical group, and I don't care if it's an engineer or if it's the CIO of a Fortune 100 company, there is something about Lego and technical people that's like catnip to kitty cats. And you get them interested and you hook them with the Lego and then you can do almost any other game in addition to making sure you bring at least one thing that involves Lego. That makes me think of a recent situation I had that was, you know, very similar to what we're talking about. I had a CTO who wanted to get on a call with me because he was a little concerned about what it was that we were going to be doing for an upcoming workshop that I'm going to be running. So I got on there and was up front. I said, hey, look, we're going to be doing these Lego activities. We're going to be doing these a whole series of activities and exercises and basically walked him through all the different ones that we were going to be using for this. I think it's like a three or four hour workshop. At the end of that, he said, okay, great. So what should I tell my people? Why don't I let you answer that one, Laura? <laughs> what is your advice to the CTO? So my advice to the CTO would be to tell his people that he's booked a session on topic XYZ and it's at this date at this time and it's going to be provided by a trainer who's known for his novel approaches to training and I've been guaranteed that there won't be any death by PowerPoint so please leave your laptops at home and come ready to engage and to interact. Now I think that for many CTOs if you can give them some kind of a written description maybe that they would email out or put in the meeting invite that's really good and part of what you want to do is set the expectation that it's going to be different. Make it a little bit mysterious so that you get their curiosity and not so over the top that the introverts go, oh my God, they're going to make me do something that I really don't want to do. Because one of the precepts of working in training and coaching with Agile Games is you create a safe environment where people have the option to participate or to observe. So you also want to make it clear to folks from the very beginning that this is going to be something different, but it's also going to be safe. So even if you might be a little shy or a little introverted, have no fear. Uh, you can come in and you'll get the the learning just like anyone else. And that was actually one of his follow-up questions after I described what it is that we're going to be doing. And basically, it's my workshop where you build a working agreement for the team using Legos. So his concern was, well, what about, you know, I have these introverted people and are they going to be willing to do this? And what I told him is, look, at I've, you know, I've run a lot of these sessions and I have never had anyone who walked out or refused to do it. 
Yes. That's always the fear. Oh, they're, they're going to refuse to do it. They're gonna, I haven't had it happen yet. Yeah. And actually, you bring us to an, another point. So say you've made that pitch to the person who's going to sign the check that, and the person who books you to come in and do the workshop. There's a second sales job that happens on the day of the workshop. So you show up, you've brought your duffel bags full of whatever paraphernalia you need in order to teach your workshop with games and simulations and interactive activities. Now you're in the front of the room, you're just starting, and there's a whole room full of people who are looking at you going, oh, crap, what's going to happen now? How you approach that very beginning of a workshop or the very beginning of the first game has everything to do with the fact that Paul has not lost any anyone in the course of all the times that you have run a game. So what do you do, Paul, so that you set that group at ease and you get going into the game? So I can tell you what we're going to do with this group that we have coming up. I've got a workshop, actually, that I'm going to be running with a friend of yours, Kim Brainerd. Oh, the famous Kim, yes. Yeah. So she and I, we're going to do a bit of a dip into an icy bath for the team. So <laughs> you were at the Global Scrum Gathering and came to my session there. You saw me do this there. So what we do is I ask for four volunteers and have them come up and stand at the front of the room. Now, what Kim and I are thinking is before our session starts, executive team is actually going to be uh, kicking things off. So we're going to ask the executive team to stay after. And so you get those four volunteers lined up at the front of the room. And then over the loudspeaker, all of a sudden, YMCA starts playing. <laughs> you know what those four volunteers now have to do? <laughs> They're going to have to do the YMCA dance for their audience. It's just a fun, silly little icebreaker. It sounds really scary when you talk about it. But let me tell you, when the whole room gets going and you've got some of the leadership team up there in front, you're really setting the stage of, you know what, we're going to do some things today that might be a little scary, that might be out of your comfort zone, but go with us because we're going to have a great time. Oh, that's really cool. So you're opening with something that sets the stage for that, and you're using uh, some help from the leaders, because if the boss is willing to do things like that, then the team will be more willing to do that. Exactly, exactly. Yep. So another thing that I think really helps in terms of getting uh, games rolling in a workshop is exactly how you describe what comes next. If you come up to the front of the room and you say, um, yeah, you know, uh, we're, we're going to do something now. Um, it's, it's, it's an activity. Yeah. You can convey your concerns and your stress about whether mm -hmm. or not the team will play the game that you're looking to do. And as a alternative, if you choose to pre-frame it as, Hey, this is going to be really fun. Let's do something that I know you're going to enjoy. Everybody stand up and quack like a duck. Okay. No, not the quack like a duck part, but the, Hey, this is going to be fun. No, you're going to enjoy it. Let's do, and then you start in with whatever it is. You've pre-framed this because people are curious and to understand what is the fun thing, what is the enjoyable thing. It's a classic throwback to Huck Finn uh, with Mark Twain where, you know, Huck Finn got a whole bunch of people to paint his fence for him by pre-framing it that it was going to be a really fun thing and that it was a scarce thing that we're privileged to be able to do. So pre-frame it, say it the way you want it to be, and people will just follow you on to whatever it is you want to do. 
Yep. You know, what I'll often also do is after we run that first activity, if say it's maybe a bit of an improv activity or, or something along those lines, that whatever that warm up activity is, I try to tie it back in by asking the team, okay, so why did we do that? What was the value in what we just did? How does this relate to working as a team? Does anyone out there see any relations and, and try to pull some answers out of the team? Because if they're like, oh, yeah, well, the improv stuff, you know, that really helps you think on your feet. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's true. Anybody else? And you start to get them to explain why it is that they just did what they did. It's really a powerful technique. Yeah. You hit on something that's really super important and probably worth another, at least one of our podcasts on, and that's the art of the debrief. It's hugely important. And in the game, the point isn't just to play the game and to hope that the group gets the learning points that you had planned, but also to create a conversation, if you will, that follows it, that debriefs them and doesn't preach to them the moral of the game, but lets them discover it in uh, some conversation, uh, just like you described, so that then they start to see the value in what you just experienced as a group in the game. So hugely important, the art of the debrief. All right. I think we've got a future topic for a future podcast. So see, we can keep this rolling. Just keep it going. <laughs> once six months, whether we need it or not, huh? <laughs> yep. At least once a month is I, I think the, the, the pace that we're shooting for. We were trying to do twice a month and, and I think that maybe was a, a little bit too much for us. And kudos to anyone who can do the weekly or every two weeks. And who knows, maybe we'll get there at some point, but we're going to at least try to get the once month going again. And I think we've got our next interview subject as well. Awesome. I think we'll pull Kim in. Oh, so should we just let her listen to the podcast and discover that? Or should we yeah. like way layer ahead of time? That's a good <laughs> Well, I'll see her in a couple of days. I might, I might hint to her and heck you'll probably talk to her tomorrow as much as you guys talk. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Well, all right, Laura, this was great. I ah, missed this so much. Glad to be back on with you. Absolutely. Me too. And I like the idea of hiding dessert in the vegetables. We're going to do more with that. I, there, there may be a book called that at some point, Paul. <laughs> or, or maybe uh, a talk. Yeah. At least. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Laura. This was a lot of fun. Where are you going to be? Are you, are you speaking anywhere anytime soon? Oh, you know what? I am going to be at Agile 2017 in just a couple of weeks in lovely, hot and humid Orlando. And I have two talks. One is around creating climates that support agile teams, that it's not just about culture, but it's also about something that's much more within the control of the team. And then my other talk is called The Power of Play. And there is Lego involved in that. And the folks who attend that session will discover their play personality and learn how that can be uh, something that helps catalyze high performance on their Agile team. So if you're I love it. 2017, please look me up. And Paul, what about you? Where are you going to be? Uh, let's see. The next public thing I have, I have some Lego serious play training coming up. So I'll be training some more facilitators. That is in August. So you can look up on the strategic play site and see where that is. It's August 22nd down here in sunny Southern California at Legoland, actually. So yeah. come, come on down to Legoland and become a Lego serious play facilitator. Nice. 
And then I think my next conference, uh, well, I'm going to play for Agile North America in early September. I'm so sad you're not going to make it. Yeah, if I could, I, there's so many things I want to do. I'm going to have to be tougher this year and do more next year. Yeah. So I look forward to play for Agile in 2018. And I will be speaking at Agile Dev East in November, but we'll have some more podcasts between now and then, so I certainly don't need to be talking about it now. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Laura. Talk to you soon. Go forth and pitch more Agile games. Woohoo! <laughs>